the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I am Seth Liebson. It is wonderful to have in studio with me George Kaloff. He is the uh, head of Data Orbital and from the Resolute Group, one of the finest uh, political consultants. Uh, I know we are privileged to have him here in Arizona. We usually check in every uh week or so, especially now that uh, we are in literally campaign year, it's uh, it's going to we're going to have to keep you even closer, George. So thanks for coming in today. Always happy to be on. I'm going to you. You were at the state legislature today and uh, Katie Hobbs gave her state of the state address. Let me play a game with you. Multiple choice. You tell me who said it. All right. And your choices are um, Michelle Obama. OK. Uh, Kamala Harris. OK. Or Katie Hobbs. All right. For me, becoming isn't about arriving somewhere or achieving a certain aim. I see it instead as a forward notion, a means of evolving, a way to reach continuously toward a better self. The journey never ends. Maybe you need a second shot at this. Yes, yeah. Yes, you're new to this game. I think we have to work on seeing ourselves. So that work has to start with us. You can't look to be seen outside of yourself. That is the constant work that each of us has to do to change the loop in our heads about not mattering. We have to rewrite that story. You want a third shot? Give you a third shot. We are bound by our love from its beautiful forests, and we are bound by our responsibility to ensure every person who calls this place home has the opportunity to succeed, as well as the generations who follow us. My point is this. There's one from each of them in there. You can guess which one the last one is, because you were there. You heard it. But we just get used to this pablum that doesn't say anything anymore, that just works its way into what were once kind of important speeches to get a sense of who this person is. I have to tell you, I have no sense of who Katie Hobbs is. No sense. I, I was going to make a joke. I was like, huh, that sounds like mumba jumbo. So I was going to attribute it to Kamala Harris, but I was trying not to be. You'd be uh, close. I, I, I mean, all you to had to me. add to that to get to Kamala Harris was something about the future unbound by the past. But go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the problem. The, this, the state of the state last year, I'd say arguably even more so this year, is partisan. It's rhetoric. We very clearly agree on little. We agree on components of the border issue. We agree on some components of water. And in all candidness, and I've seen some variation of this, I was at a Chamber of Commerce event on Friday, and you hear lots of commentary. I'd never seen them farther apart. This was the Senate president and Speaker of the House and the Assistant Minority Leader in the House and the Minority Leader in the Senate. And it was it's usually cordial and kind. They were going at each other. and. Yeah strong disagreements on some core issues. So again, out of the multitude of issues, we somewhat agree on the border, and we really kind of don't. I I believe it's window dressing for what she's saying because she understands the politics. We somewhat agree on some water issues, even though we even have major differences there to the point where her bipartisan, you know, gathering has fallen apart. And then on almost everything else, namely ESAs, uh, you know, school choice law, uh, housing, different stuff, taxes, they want to undo everything that we're priding ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge problem. Yeah. It's weird about the legislature because... It's not that big. 
of a body. No. And yet I can't tell you how many times I've talked to legislators who literally don't know some of their co- – just say I don't know that person. It's weird how much they don't get along or how much they don't converse with one another. Uh, to me it is. I, I think it, it's got to be unique among state legislators. It, it, it Divisions, does. in other words, are deep and they are wide. Yes, and I think it is even more intense than before because yep. before you'd have personality differences and yep. just naturally, you know, when, when heck, five people come together, they're going to have disagreements. You get 90 plus staff and plus this and that. You're going to have people that don't get along with one another. But we have some, I mean, I say this all the time. I don't know what to do with the fact that we have monumental differences. I mean, we spend so much time talking about it. You spend so much time talking about it on a daily basis. And well, what do we do with that? That doesn't mean I have to hate someone else, but we literally do not agree on core tenets of thought and being and language. We've talked about that. And then what? Like you have to push back. And then how does that, you know, how do you foster a a group mentality in that regard? Well, you know, that's a great point. Maybe this is deeper than what we signed up, what you signed up for today. I'm not sure. But it's a great point because there was a time when the point was not to double down on the partisan divider, double down on your partisan position, but to try and persuade people to see things the way you do, to kind of not even achieve consensus, but to evangelize your point of view convincingly so that someone changes their mind and joins you. That used to be the kind of political leader we looked to, people who could – that's how you get notions like Reagan Democrats. You know, this hardened right wing conservative, but he brings on all these Democrats. How? Made a better argument. Got them to agree with him. Mm -hmm. Right. And it seems like um, won't speak about anyone you want, but it seems like Katie Hobbs has totally thrown in the towel on any of that. All she is is a rubber stamp for the hardened left of the Democratic Party. I'll tell you who a good example Republican is on this, by the way. I have to say. You won't get this from the papers, but if you ever watch a Tom Horn speech, he's very good at explaining the entire mm-hmm. warp and woof of the landscape. You know, I know he's seen as some kind of part and he's got an ideology to be sure, but he's very good in his speeches about kind of holding your hand through his argument. She makes no effort. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, there are some instances of this on minor issues, but name me elected officials around the country that when they buck their party, so a Democrat who votes with Republicans on something of consequence or a Republican who votes with Democrat, name me one that doesn't actually end up changing the party because they literally are no longer, they're ostracized. They're, they're, they're essentially kicked out of the party. I'm not talking about a budget bill here or there. There's, of course, bipartisan stuff that occurs and things. So I'm not talking about that. Monumental issues, big, big issues, federally and in Arizona and frankly in most states. They do occur, and those people end up switching their votes. That's I'm thinking right. about a member in North Carolina that went from Democrat to Republican around school choice. Same in Louisiana, same in other parts. That's what ends up happening, or vice versa. You get a Republican who becomes a Democrat. Uh, it's 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 purely a two-team sport where on opposite ends, and then you get someone like a Katie Hobbs. You know, and then people wonder, well, who started it first? I get this question all the time. Is it the Democrats' fault? Did, did they throw in the towel before Republicans? Did Republicans throw in the towel? Now, look, this is this is part of the problem I have, and just being honest, at least the people that I'm aware of, and, and correct me if, if you see something different. I, from my vantage point, see a lot of people that put out a narrative that if I'm reading between the lines or somewhat just like sometimes just hearing them exactly how they say, they don't they think that someone of my belief system is is like not only by do they not agree with me, I'm not a good person yeah, as a Christian conservative. Right. I don't know, save for people that I 
for sure would not affiliate with. Of course, there's there's people that are bad in both parties, like someone who just absolutely spews racism and happens to call themselves a Republican. I don't see a lot of Republicans just like scum of the earth and I just I can't stand them. I, so I, I suppose that means that I think the Democrats kind of started at first. And then how are we supposed to respond? If you're a Republican elected official, are, are you going to try to be sort of conciliatory consistently when the other side is saying, yeah, well, I'm not going to work with you? It's it's a huge problem. And well, again, we've talked about this. It, it furthers the divide. It must be so huge because when you look at our state legislature, let's get into the politics of the year going into this. I mean, there is tremendous nervousness about maintaining our majority mm-hmm. in the state house and ha- and state senate. And if you went to a novice or perhaps even a prospective donor or voter, I suppose, and said, well, we're worried about maintaining our majority. Oh, well, the majority is important. How big is it? One. We have a majority of one. Yeah. Yeah. This is an impossibility, George. It's, it's difficult. And like I said, you hear you heard legislative leadership, the Speaker of the House, Ben Toma, uh, who I tremendously respect, had a tremendous, amazing answer in response to empowerment scholarship accounts because yeah. the Democrats are saying, well, this is going to break up the state and we're going to hell in a handbasket yeah. and parents shouldn't have the rights. And he uh, unequivocally put that down. Then the Senate president, Warren Peterson. Tremendous res- amount of respect for him, has a background in housing and building, who was taking the Democrats to task on some of the housing stuff, saying, like, look, what used to take three months to do permitting now takes four years. So tell me who's who, who's the problem. Is it, right. is it a supply problem or not? So you get these like our folks are talking with facts. You started off the, the, the hour with this. Our folks are talking with facts. And the other side, it's often not. And, and even when they sometimes they use facts, they say a fact. And I'm using quotations because obviously folks can't see me, quote unquote, that. ESAs are bankrupt in the state, but yeah. when you actually look at the numbers, yeah. and again, I know I'm getting into the weeds. When you no. look at the numbers, the K through 12 education budget is actually under what was projected, so it's not bankrupting it, but it's an easy political narrative, and they run with it. And some members of the media print their lies. Yeah, the media is incurious at best, and on the left side at worst, and probably just the answer will change on the given day or with the given reporter because they do swallow whole the hook, line and sinker the Democrats have on ESAs. And Katie Hobbs took to took her sword to them again today in her um, in her state of the state. And I wonder if we can talk about the war on that when we come back. Let's what is this war about school choice? George Kaloff is my guest. And of course, we're taking calls. Happy to six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. And he and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is my guest. He from the Resolute Group, where he is managing director and president and CEO of Data Orbital Consulting. Um, if there's one thing you do know about Katie Hobbs, Governor Hobbs, George, and you saw it uh, today, of course, is it's her antagonism towards school choice and ESAs. Uh, part of her speech was decrying some of the abuses in accountability and transparency. Everything, by the way, that she said about accountability and transparency or misspending or appropriation of funds, you could have taken out ESAs and put in public school system. Oh, yeah. And it's as if you have, on the one hand, this gleaming, shining city on a hill that is our state public school system, and on the other, this network of choice um, net, network of choice options that are hugely popular, by the way, hugely with waiting lists for people to get into and obtain, obtain uh, admissions to, that 
people stood up and cheered with loud applause when she was condemning this. And I'm wondering, A, what is so animating against school choice opportunities to the Democratic Party on the one hand, and two, as a political question, when is that applause for shutting that down going to catch up with the base that these school choice options serve that parents love? Yeah. So there are things in politics that are complicated. There are things in politics that are uh, that require an immense amount of dialogue. To me, school choice is not one of them. Here's why. Count me on the side. You, I know as well, and many others that believe that parents should be the ones that dictate the schooling of their children. Hard stop. Period. No questions asked. There's, there's no us and the government. There's no... You know, like like President Biden at one point mis uh, misquoted completely the like you know we raise as a as a community. That's not what the point of raising as a community is. It doesn't mean you hand your child off to someone else. Okay, what the left does is very clearly uh, they're given their marching orders from uh, organizations like uh, Save Our Schools and others, teachers unions that say no, we need to shut this down because we need to maintain the powers of control, and it doesn't matter that seventy three thousand children are on the empowerment scholarship account. And an additional tens of thousands, we know the exact number, utilize tax credits. An additional 150 plus thousand, I think, if not more, utilize charter schools and so on and so forth from there. So Arizona has hundreds of thousands. And more would if wherever. Every time we expand it, more sign up. Right. Right. So all that to say, all these parents, they believe that that's better for their child. And so now we're going to tell them that – uh, for all random reasons, and by the way, a lot of the stuff that you quoted were just uh, you know misquotes. Or, or for example, let me pick on the water park. I was in public school. My school took me to a water park. Yeah, we so. had. Yeah, we also had driver's ed. She so, was talking about driver's ed for luxury. Co- what the hell is she there's, talking there's about? There's just there's some just some very odd things. Like I said, we go back to what we said earlier. Sometimes they they think they take things as fact. I don't even think they think they're facts. They take things as fact and then they regurgitate them and they expect us to just accept it at face value. But again. This is my point. I want to like strip away all the politics of this. Either parents should or should not be in charge of the kids' education. That may cost the state billions of dollars. It may cost the state millions of dollars. It may cost the state somewhere in between. If that's what a parent believes is best for their child, then we better believe that politically we respond to it accordingly. We've seen politicians do crazier things in response to stuff. Why do you think all of a sudden the Democrats are in an uproar around the border? We, all of a sudden they care about the border after they, they've yeah. allowed it to be lawless all this time? Yeah. When you have tens of thousands of families and parents that care about this thing, and now you're telling them that you're going to have it taken back, there were, uh, I think, more than 150 parents with their kids and others that rallied at the Capitol this morning to say on the first day on a Monday, right, to say no, enough. In cold. In the cold. It was <laughs> yeah. one of the coldest days we have the year here, right, yeah. for anyone who's, uh, who's native or close to native like me. I've been wearing 15 layers today to say enough. We're not going to let them spout the lies. Why? Because we should be in control of our kids' education. And to me, it's that simple. And we as Republicans, and again, I applaud all uh, all the members of the legislature that are standing up. And by the way, I remember a time not too long ago when you had Democrats like Cory Booker yep. in New Jersey and you had Democrats even in Arizona yep. who were willing to stand up or for Wisconsin charter schools, who were willing to stand yep. up for private Holly schools, Williams. Yep. who were willing to stand up for school choice. And now they say, no, why did they change their mind all of a sudden? Because they became enlightened? No, because politically it became untenable for them. And I think that is garbage, to not use another word. You know, it's an interesting... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... A- <laughs> it's interesting that you say whether it costs billions of dollars or thousands of dollars... Well, we know that it costs billions. We spend $10 billion or so every year in Half this Half of state. our state budget, yes. by the way, general fund, that doesn't include local, right. that doesn't include right. federal dollars right. to public schools. Right. And we spend 
nationally almost a trillion dollars, almost a trillion dollars nationally on elementary and secondary education all in. And we're not getting anything like the right bang for the buck. We are paying prime rib prices for the cheap cuts. That's 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 what's going on with this education scam right now. And as much as people want to and we do give good teachers greater salaries, it turns out funny enough that the legislation to do that came from Republicans over the last two years and was vetoed by the Democrats. And we're wanting to do it again, and they're balking at it because they don't think it's – whether they call it sustainable or whatnot. I want to make sure that listeners are are very clear about this because I feel like I glossed over this. The the quote-unquote fraud that's being discussed – and there's been data that's done about this. ABC 15 did something like this, and there's a a reporter there, Garrett Archer, who I trust from a data perspective. They found out of the millions of dollars on ESA – that they could guarantee because they went through a lot of receipts, $60,000 worth of fraud, like that they could guarantee. You understand that's a fraction of a percent. They found up to $10 million that could be, but, but $60,000 that they verified. You understand when you compare that to SNAP program or Medicaid or some of these other government programs, because right whenever you manage money, they have somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20% cases of, of abuse or potential abuse. We're talking about we're in at best in the low single digits, if not a fraction of a percent. Yeah. Every single receipt, which, by the way, it's, it's difficult to scale, but this is what the Department of Education does. They review every single receipt. Now you're telling me that we're going to pick on this program? No. We know why you're picking on it because politically you do not want tens of thousands of parents to realize, oh, my gosh, if I have control of my kid's education, I'm not stuck doing whatever it is. Again, this is not to demonize. I went to public schools, and there's a lot of parents that are going to continue sending their kids to public schools and a lot of great public schools. Oh, let's be very the clear. Point. There are some public schools that are better than some private schools. Right? But that's no. not the point. The point is, as a parent, I should make that decision for right. my kids. I've got two boys. I should make that decision, not the government, and we know why they're doing it. It's for politics and nothing else. I just want to make that point abundantly clear. This far that they're talking about it's a political talking point. The budget deficit that they're talking about, it's a political talking point. That's not actually what's happening. And there's a lot of good people pushing back against this narrative because we have had enough of the lies, particularly when it comes to our kids. If they spent a quarter of the time looking at fraud, waste, and abuse in the public system that they do looking for it in the private and charter system, they would find 180% more examples of it. There's just no question about it. This is a partisan hit job to protect a special constituency. And unfortunately, it's not the parents and it's certainly not the students. George Kaloff and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. George Kaloff is my guest. George, before we go back to politics Uh, At the retail level, Michael is calling in from Queen Creek on something I was speaking about in the last hour, which I know is a topic you love talking about. Basically, the state of patriotism in America, the state of our of our of our of our feeling about ourselves. And I was doing some Cicero. I was doing some Lincoln. Michael, welcome. You're on with me and George Kaloff. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, I'm a member of the military, Arizona Army National Guard, and one of the things that always gives me heart is to see all these young people that I deal with. I've been in the military for a number of years, but I see every, every year we have a number of young people who join up and they join up for the most part for the right reason. And because they care about their country, it matters to them. 
And especially when you go to some of the bigger military bases where you wake up and you go to bed with saluting the flag and everyone coming to attention across the base. Um, I know we get a lot of negative news about young people and their level of patriotism, but often we get to see a pretty good example of that in the military that we have. And I've certainly appreciated that. That's not lost on me, Michael. And first of all, thank you for your service. And thank you for pointing out the service of others. Um, what, what you say I hear often from people in the military. What worries me a little bit is the levels with which more and more young people don't think about that as an option anymore. And I wonder if you've seen that decline, at least from your perch, at least from your perspective. Um, you know, it was a big deal when I was younger, and it was a very uh, – uh, not legitimate, that's the wrong word, but very possible option, very potential option for everyone in my class, in my grades, especially as you're getting ready to graduate high school to join the military – um, I, I just don't see and hear that as much anymore. And if you look at the numbers and you look at the pipeline from high school to recruitment, that is getting narrower and narrower by the year. That That's a cause of concern, which is to say nothing of those that do go through. They're as good, if not better, than anyone before. I, I, I've seen that, too, and I agree with you on that. I'm worried about volume. Well, I, mean, I certainly would agree. Um, I'm not only... In my life, in my, in my, I'm in the Guard, but I am also uh, have addressed law enforcement and prosecution most of my life. And the recruiting numbers, both in terms of yep. military yep. and in law enforcement, yep. whether it be state, local, yep. or federal, yep. are, are a very deep concern. Yeah. One of the things that we clearly tie into recruiting is whether a family member has been a part of the military and have had they had a, if they've had a good experience with that the same thing goes with law enforcement and the like and so as families are stressed or aren't even really happening in many ways i mean i the out of wedlock birth rate and the like that's where that's where i have real concerns um as a person who and has dealt with law enforcement especially the prosecution side um it was very readily apparent especially with a lot of the gang prosecutions that I did that uh, both at federal and city level, that one of the critical factors was the lack of a father in the home. Um, I, I did dozens and dozens of hearings and trials and sentencings, and I had one father, one, show up to any of those hearings. I had lots of moms, lots of girlfriends, but one father. But uh, so I, I see that impact in terms of both negative in criminal life and positive in terms of whether people find patriotism, uh, their moral foundation for the other questions in the life. Um, but I'll also tell you, too, that as much as we talk about how important it is to have a father in the home for boys, I am thoroughly convinced it's even more important yeah. for young women. Uh, yeah, no doubt. And if you look at the mental health numbers, it's particularly been worse for women than young women than for young boys. You're, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I think boys need them. But what we're now starting to see 
is this now spreading into 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 the female population as well? There is one surefire way to make you and law enforcement, your, your you and your brethren in law enforcement's jobs easier, and it's to it's 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 the simplest sounding thing, and yet seemingly the hardest thing for us to be able to do. It's to give you better families, and to give you better schools, and to give you better churches or better church attendance. Each one of those three forces of composition in this society is on the decline, and it makes your job in law enforcement all the harder. I mean, it's it's the, the social science and the social research on this is not in doubt as to what I'm saying. At just the very time <laughs> that those institutions would also feed your profession, but have also been going through a downgraded uh, perspective and positioning and promulgation from our leadership. So God bless you, really, honestly. Uh, thank you for your service. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. George Kaloff is my guest from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. He's got he's got big dogs. That's one of the things we share, we have in common. We like dogs. And his, like mine, we were just saying over the break, um, they're not able to read the room when it comes to the outside weather. You know, it's 30 God knows degrees out this morning pitch black pitch black and they they think it's you know just sunshine and roses and rainbows and you cannot stop that you cannot stop that mac truck when they want to go on that morning walk here i mean oh yeah they'll show you what true will really is they go kaiser soze on you (laughs) yes they do yeah you know (laughs) they they if it's a contest of wills you're gonna lose Politics, George, uh, here and nationally. Start here on a national race, the Senate race. Uh, we got a few numbers in today. They don't tell us everything we need to know, but we're learning a little bit. What, yeah. what did we learn today? Uh, Carrie Lake, uh, the likely Republican nominee, raised more than $2 million in Q4, which is a big deal for, for anyone to do, let, let alone you know one from uh, the top-tier Republican, 2.2. It's got to be big nationally on the it Senate is. race. It is a big deal. And again, very notable that um, Senator Daines from Montana, yeah. who's the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, had a quote in her press release. Again, those are the types of things that you look at. A simple quote, nonetheless, quote, Gallego, the likely Democrat, Raised more than three million. Very interesting, right? About three and a half million. So another very consistent. He's been doing between three and four million. Nothing yet from Senator Cinema. Obviously, the big question there is going to be whether she does or does not run. Um, but the race is the race is shaping up again. We know that Lake has a primary from Pinal County Sheriff Mark Lamb. Great guy. But again, likely the race is going to be between the three of them: Gallego, Lake, and Cinema. And all the polling kind of show. Gallego in the high 30s, Lake in the mid 30s, Cinema in the high 20s, which at that point, without hardly any money, money spent yet, that means it's it's a tight race, right? I you mean, said likely. Uh, th- th- does that mean to you? you th- there's this little side debate going on as to whether Cinema is going to run. You, you you put your money on the fact. I think she's going to run, but but yeah, I mean, she look. We're we're in January of the election year. She's a lot of signatures to collect. Predicting what she's going to do is tough. That's always, the other dynamic. Yeah. And frankly, she's she's behaving on, you know, because you look at different indicators yep. in, in our industry. In some sense, she's behaving as someone who is going to run very clearly. And in another sense, she's not. And so that's part of the problem. She's keeping everyone guessing. But her presence in the race or her uh, presence not in the race is going to have a tremendous effect on the race. And so what she does is going to impact how Gallego runs and how uh, Lake would run. How do you analyze it if she's in? Who's it tougher on? Who's it better on? 
So some of the a lot of the polling now is showing she's picking up more Republicans than she's picking up Democrats. But again, she hasn't spent any money. She's got ten plus million dollars in her coffer. Um, I think it's it's anyone's guess. Probably a bit tougher on on the Republicans. So then, hence Lake, because she may Senate may consolidate some of that. Let's call it the Never Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Never Trump vote in Arizona. But also at the end of the day, look, there's a lot that. You know, she crosses the party on, but a lot of the core Republican tenants, she's nowhere near the Republican. And no. so uh, you see what I'm saying? Like at no. some point, like sometimes people, I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you it know, seems to me to a polling. few clever ads could pinprick the balloon of her bipartisan reputation. Yeah. It yeah. seems to me. I mean, it's hard to call nonpartisan or bipartisan someone who has 100 percent ratings from the far left groups in america like planned parenthood like the aclu it seems to me someone whose voting record is closer to joe biden's than even chuck schumer's can be seen as bipartisan yeah right but it's all about tone and tenor of today's day and age and so of i think that's where it's how does she position and if she has the most money or a significant amount of money relative to the other two yeah. then she'll be able and she to does have a war chest of sorts i think 10 million yeah yeah yeah. Uh, nationally, what's it look like? We're a week away from the Iowa caucuses. The Midwest is under a lot of snow. Iowa, uh, the same. Everyone's trying to make their last minute push. But there's new numbers that keep coming out. For example, one from Iowa that shows that um, now DeSantis is, this one showed at least that DeSantis was way ahead of Haley. So that's interesting. Uh, within single digits of, of former President Trump. But on the same token, another survey comes out of South Carolina, which a lot of prognosticators say. So, for example, if if Donald Trump wins Iowa, but it's close, then if Nikki Haley can then prevail in New Hampshire, you go to South Carolina. There's Nevada in the middle, but we could talk about that. So there's a complicating factor there. But it shows that President, uh, President Trump would be up by 30 points yeah. compared to the next two. And so then what do you do after that? If you lose in your home state, if you're Nikki Haley, she was the governor of South Carolina. So I think we're in the same position set that we've been in yeah. all of 2023, yeah, which is yeah. likely Donald Trump gonna is going to be the nominee. I think these primaries and caucuses will affirm that unless some tremendously crazy thing occurs, which, again, you know, I, I, I hate to even speak that into the world because, you know, we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're the generation that lived through 2020 and, and, you know, the before and after of that. Um, but it seems in all likelihood we're going to see a rematch of, of what happened in, uh, in 2020 election going into 2024. Nikki Haley's star was was rising and rising and rising throughout the month of uh, months of November and December. Is it still has it crested or is, is the shine coming off a little bit? Seems like she's made a few errors. Um, I don't know whether it's the exhaustion. I don't know whether it's sure. the focus, the more focus, the more yeah. errors. You know, I don't know what it is. You get a feel for these things, you know, an intuitive feel. Feels like there's a little less excitement about her today for those that were supporting her than there was, oh, I don't know, three, five weeks ago. Yes, but but let's look at the this has happened with a number of people. Yeah, right. Stars rise, stars fall. Right. There was a moment when Tim Scott's star was rising. Right. DeSantis, right. Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley now. Why? What happens? What is the common theme with all of this? You go... Six to eight weeks, and people realize that no one's getting any closer to the front runner, who is Donald Trump. Then what do you do? Of course, your star is going to fall, whether you make errors. And again, it's 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 really it's almost independent on if she had or had not made any errors. She did make that comment about the Civil War. I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have on the race, but it's it's not even so much the error of the individual. It's just can they then um, can they come close to the man that everyone knows is in first place? And when the answer then consistently turns into no with surveys. 
their stars. Right. I mean, right. Politics is it is the art somewhat of inevitability. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, if something in politics feels inevitable, mm-hmm. it is hard to make it not inevitable. And this presidential race is one uh, case of inevitability after another. And again, it's still not over. We still haven't had the Iowa caucuses, but you and I have had this conversation. I don't know how many times, more times than we can count on our hands and, and, and feet. And nothing has materially changed in the last 10 months. I don't, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong if you think so. I don't believe anything's materially changed in the last 10 months in this race. No, possible exception being that we are getting a pretty good sense of what the Biden campaign is going to look like. Sure. It seems like they have settled on a theme, at least for now, and it ain't Bidenomics. We have a short segment coming up. Can we just pick that? Let's do it. Pick that bone when we come right back. I liked what James Carville said. It sounded smart. I'm going to ask you if it is smart. He said something to the effect of, I understand the point of giving a speech on January 6th, but for most voters, there's a January 7th and an 8th and a 9th and a 10th and an 11th and 12th and ad infinitum. Um, Get your thoughts on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a heck of a great investment that empowers you with a ton of flexibility and control. You can turn your income on and off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees, no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back at any time, they're headquartered here locally. You can visit them. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. And with Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. And it's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. George Kaloff has been our guest this hour. Thanks for being with us, George, talking some politics. Uh, the one thing that I think, at least for now, looks to be the case is that the Democrats have settled or landed seemingly on their theme uh, nationally, or at least at the presidential level, which is um, that Republicans are a threat to democracy. Does that look like their theme? Does that look like their theme for the time being? And is it a good one? Uh, That does look like their theme because they can't really hang their hat on the economy. They They can't hang their hat on the leadership that Joe Biden presents and provides the country. So where else do they have to go? Uh, in all candidness, part of this theme, I don't know, worked, didn't work, somewhat worked, worked better than I had expected in the midterms. But that's a very different dynamic than when Trump is at the top of the ticket. And we know what's transpired in the last two years and why I don't think this theme is going to work. And I was actually going to make this uh, uh, comment to, in response to myself when I said nothing has changed. Well, one thing has changed. If anything, actually... Donald Trump has been more solidified the more that they go after him for all these crazy things, like, for example, throwing him off to the ballot. You know, I will say there's one about the risk to democracy. I was going to say there's one thing (laughs) that countries around the world do that absolutely destroys democracy. What they jail people that are in their opposition or they remove them from the ballot. And I'm not saying they're doing the same thing that we're doing in Russia. Let's not be hyperbolic. But with all due respect, when a partisan Democrat secretary of state makes a unilateral decision to remove the essentially the the proverbial Republican nominee from the ballot. What else are we supposed to call that? Yeah, it, I, I agree with you, and and I've always just thought it was a difficult place to be when the only thing you have in politics is to become a saint on the other guy's sins. I think it's bad theology, and I think it's bad politics. It is. It is, and again, we'll see how it plays out. But I will say the numbers for 
for Trump have never been better against Biden, even in the lead up to 2020. Good. Thank you, George. George Kaloff has been our guest. He of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. And I'll be right back with Brandon Weicker. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 